Some coaches like recruiting. Some coaches don't like recruiting quite as much. Is there a future in college football where head coaches don't really do anything in recruiting? Somebody wants to know, and I'm answering that question today and evaluating Oregon's hire of Dan Lanning. Let's go. Locked on Pac-12, your daily podcast on the Pac-12 Conference. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Locked On Pack 12. I'm your host, Spencer McLaughlin. Do one play by play broadcaster. Thanks for making this your first listen or your first view. If you're watching on YouTube every day, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your number one source to stay up to date with the Conference of Champions. Like, comment, subscribe wherever you're listening to or watching the show. I appreciate the hundreds of you out there who have already done so. Our YouTube numbers are looking great. They keep going up. Keep hitting that subscribe button. I love to see that and appreciate all of you supporting the show, which is brought to you today by Bet Online. Bet Online has you covered the season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Bet Online, where the game starts. So today's uh, premier topic or initial topic, I could say, is courtesy of Reggie Anderson on YouTube, who dropped in there or hopped in there and asked me a question, which any of you can do, by the way, at smalls underscore 55 or at LO underscore pack 12 are the Twitter accounts. You can tweet with the hashtag ask LOP 12 or you hop in the YouTube comments. I check them daily. You ask me a question, you get an answer here on the show. And he asks, I think, a really fascinating question. He says, hey, Spencer. Hey, Reggie. Curious if you think college football programs should do away with coaches as recruiters and instead should handle recruiting like pro teams, create a full-time scouting department, and allow the scouts to do all the recruiting and player assessments. This would free up the coaches to do their jobs and spend more time developing and learning as coaches along with coaching their players. They could lobby the NCAA to allow this to occur. Well, with regards to lobbying the NCAA, good luck. Uh, <laughs> I mean, that's, that was just an, an offhanded rhetorical comment because it's uh, not always the easiest organization to deal with, as we all know. So I, I think the fundamental question here is one that some coaches would definitely be open to. Because in college football, the biggest difference I think it has uh, or, or, or that the biggest difference that exists between college football and the NFL is recruiting. I don't think that's a particularly revolutionary take either. But the way that that manifests itself is you have coaches who kind of make their money as recruiters and they get hired to certain positions or maybe even get promoted almost solely because of their recruiting prowess and not necessarily because of their schematic wherewithal whereas in the nfl it's all about scheme because the the gm and everybody who's underneath them assistant gm scouts and all those player personnel people are you know responsible for putting the roster together and then coaches who have input on that but not as much control as college coaches do you have to just be really really good schematically to be in the pros it's why it's considered kind of a higher level of coaching because at the college level, you can get by being kind of mediocre schematically while being a great recruiter, right? If you're able to recruit, that's going to get that's going to get you a lot of leeway 
in, in the college ranks, whether that's as a head coach or as a, a coordinator or position coach as well. But I think there are a lot of coaches at the college level who, who would be open to this evolving concept. I don't think it's going to happen, which I'll get to. But the reason that there are some who, who would be open to that idea is that recruiting is really hard and it's not getting any easier. Now, some coaches are fully committed to it. They're all in on the grind. They love, you know, uh, meeting high school kids. They love going out on the trail and having them in for visits and, you know, having to sell them on the program constantly. It, it's a lot of work, but some coaches are all about that because if, if you're raised in that environment or if you, you know, have been working on college staffs for years and years, then you understand what it's about. And some people, you know, really cling to that and, and love what they can do for their program from a recruiting standpoint and want to be as involved with that as possible. But the flip side of that coin is that it's an intensely cutthroat industry, as we all know, and kids are kind of getting paid legally now, but they've always been getting paid at some level, or at least the really, really big time recruits, you know, under the table for years. Like we all know that's worst kept secret in college football. And, you know, that can feel kind of shady sometimes, or, you know, you're, you're all in on, on a recruit and you're, you know, feel like you're in a really good spot, but then somebody else swoops in at the last second, takes them away from you. That can be a frustrating feeling as well. It's nonstop in today's world too, right? The only real dead period is July. I mean, we're in June right now and the recruiting news for every team, it's flying all over the place. There's a bunch of visits and there's, you know, guys uh, releasing top sevens and then cutting it down to, to top fives. Jaden Rashada recently cut a couple Pac-12 schools out of his top seven, Cal and Oregon. So it's just all that. He's a five-star quarterback in the class of 2023, by the way. But he, you know, is a perfect example of the, the way that college football ha has evolved in that sense and has really taken off. And now you've got the social media age and you've just got all this stuff that you have to do to, to get a recruit on campus. And you're posting pictures about it and you're, you know, going through all these steps for a lot of coaches that can be exhausting, you know, and I, I just off the top of my head, Chip Kelly and Dan Mullen are two guys who, who come to mind that are, you know, I, I think two coaches who would prefer to be in the NFL. That's why I think Chip went to the NFL, leaving Oregon years ago. Now, of course, he's back at UCLA, but still kind of has the same reputation, which is he's not really big into recruiting. He's not really big into donor relations, which is another part of being a head coach that not every uh, college football coach is crazy about because it can just feel like, you know, you're trying to manage things that are not always in your in your control. But, you know, those are big time coaches, or at least they, they have been at certain points in time. And they're not big on recruiting. I mean, Dan Mullen basically was fired from Florida last year, not just because they weren't performing on the field because they had just one down season, but because he was basically going to the podium and saying, yeah, we're not really looking at recruiting. We're not that into it. And that's just not the message that you can afford to send right now. It's such a big part of what college football is that coaches are, you know, expected to be all in or, or at least heavily committed to going out and finding the best players you can for for their program so that's the way it is and i understand why coaches might be against that if you just want to you know show up on saturdays call plays you know go through uh practices throughout the week and, and be a, a a schematically oriented guy i understand that but it's not what college football is and if you're not willing to you know put forth the the necessary effort at your school on the recruiting trail then chances are you're going to fall behind other programs on, on Saturdays in the fall as well over time. 
uh, the, the second part of his question was, you know, about would you just hire someone to to oversee it or would you just, um, it, you know, have someone whose job it is specifically to recruit and that way coaches wouldn't have to be involved. We, we kind of already have that, which I'll tell you about after I tell you that Bet Online is your number one source for all your betting needs and sports info. You can find all the latest sports developments, league reviews and news, including this year's NHL playoffs and Major League Baseball. Go Mariners. So they're just ripping my heart out this year again. Bet on 19th year in a row. Bet online is your continued source for all your sports wagering information, including live betting, esports, and scores. And Bet Online is the best spot for all your sports scores, podcasts, and news this season. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends in action. Bet Online, where the game starts. I don't know if there are any of you fellow Mariner fans out there, but um, it's not going well. But this is a college football show, so let's uh, let's hop back into it. Uh, there are staff members now. If you went to the staff directory uh, of any of these uh, schools that you know list that, and I'm pretty sure they all do, um, you can find guys who are directors of player personnel or chiefs of staff or you know director of recruiting. There are a bevy of recruiting oriented positions that exists in the college football world. So if the transition that you're asking about here, Reggie, were to take place, you would be shouldering more of the responsibility on those guys. And I, I don't see that being something that, that could come to fruition. And by the way, the, these recruiting specific guys, they haven't always been there. I, I think more, more and more schools are starting to add them and add more you know, people like them who are not coaches, but are just there essentially for recruiting and to handle you know, all that sort of stuff. You have social media people involved with that as well, because that's a big part of, of recruiting. And, you know, you get pictures of visits and, and all that sort of stuff. So that hasn't always been the case where you have recruiting specific people. I think that's only going to grow because recruiting is just going to continue to be more and more important, especially in the age of, of NIL. It's just it's going to get more competitive, more cutthroat. And you have to be on top of it or your program is not going to be able to get the the biggest recruits who who you might want to help your program eventually win. And so to answer your your initial question, though, was, you know, will coaches ever just kind of take themselves out of it? I, I can't see it, even though there are a small handful who would want that. Most coaches, I think, do want to recruit because it does give you as much control as possible over player personnel in that sense as you can really get at, at the college level. And you, you see coaches in the NFL chasing that, too. Right. I mean. You know, Belichick and uh, Pete Carroll, Sean McVay, like all those coaches have, you know, I listed the first two because they're very dominant coaches when it comes to their their particular cultures. And I'm a Seahawks fan and I'm not a big fan of Pete Carroll at the moment. Um, that's a, I need to not go on that tangent at this point in time. But my, my point is that those coaches want input on who is going to be on their team and what players they're going to be coaching. And, you know, Belichick loves to have a lot. Of, I mean, he's the coach and the GM, which is not a very smart thing to do, but he doesn't want to have fights with his GM. And that's a very real thing. So it allows coaches to have that element of control. And so I, I don't see coaches giving that up, even though some would be fine with it. I think the overwhelming majority understand the importance of it and, you know, how it, it allows you to establish yourself as uh, as a brand, as a school right on a national level, how, you know, recruits are going to to think of you, how they view your your program. There, there's a lot of things that go into that that I, I think it make it unlikely that coaches would ever be out of it. 
And, uh, and, and by the way, someone on YouTube, I should have wrote his or her name down, but I don't remember who it was, but uh, someone on YouTube made a, a good point as well. When we're talking about head coaches and recruiting when head coaches and position coaches and coordinators as well go out on the recruiting trail, you don't just talk to the kids. You also talk to the parents. And so while a recruiting coordinator per se, or director of player personnel, or, you know, someone like say you got rid of, you know, head coaches going out and doing in-home visits, you would then be sending someone in your place all the time to represent you to make a pitch to a kid's parents as to why your particular school is the right choice for the next step in his football career. I think that's a harder sell if you don't have the head coach involved, because from a parental standpoint, you have to remember, yes, these kids are going to play college football and their lifestyles are radically different from uh, most college kids, but they're not entirely different. They still go to class. They still live in dorms. They still make friends, you know, grow as people make mistakes as what well, like we all did during our, our college years. And so when you're talking about sending your kid off somewhere, particularly if you're going, you know, say you're a kid from Texas or Florida or California, and you're going to send your kid, you know, way away from home and you're not going to be close to it. Maybe there's no family members out there. Then you want to be sure that the guy that you're sending your kid to, to learn from and, and to be around often is someone who you feel comfortable with. And so I think that's another reason that head coaches are always going to be a part of the recruiting process is I, I just don't think that parents would want to, you know, send their kids off to somebody who they, they just don't know as well. And a position coach, you know, oftentimes can can sell that sort of message or a coordinator as, as well. But for certain recruits, you, you got to have the head honcho there. And that's just one thing that I, I don't see going away. And I think it's just too integral to, to college football. But I appreciate the question. I love the question. Uh, that was from uh, Reggie Anderson on YouTube. Again, YouTube comments, hashtag ask LOP12, at LO underscore PAC12, or at Smalls underscore 55. You comment in my mentions, DMs, wherever. It's all open. Ask me whatever question you want, and I will give it the full run through here on the show. Some coaches might, uh, might, might want that, but at this point in time, it's not going to happen. I think you're going to continue to see I will say, I think you'll continue to see non-coaching positions on football teams grow because it's you know really important to a lot of these kids to to feel that extra effort, right? To see themselves, you know, put out there on social media, or put together uh, highlight packages, or you know, like hype videos or uh, graphics that they want to see. All that sort of stuff is you know already a big part, and I, I think it's going to continue to grow because recruiting is just. Um, it, it's, it's just one of those industries that doesn't look like it's going to slow down anytime soon. It's just going to get more competitive, more cutthroat and more detailed. <sighs> All right. Got to take a breath. All right. Took my breath. Our next coaching evaluation is, uh, of the hire of Dan Lanning for Oregon. I did uh, Lincoln Riley at USC. And of course I was going through evaluating all the coaches in, uh, in their 10 years, the ones who have coached so far. But of course, there are a few who have not yet coached a game in the Pac-12 conference. And we'll be getting to uh, Kalen DeBoer. That'll be the next one that we do here on the show, which is why you should like and subscribe wherever you're listening to or watching the show to keep up with all the content I'm putting out all summer long, leading you right up to the season. We are less than 100 days to college football. Oh, gosh, it's a great sentence. It's a great, great sentence 
to be able to say. So, Dan Lanning. And by the way, because I know somebody out there might uh, point it out. Yes, I'm an Oregon Duck fan. Sue me. Um, if that means that I shouldn't be able to evaluate, I'll have somebody else on and see if I'm wildly off base. But I'm going through and evaluating his hire the same way I would hire or evaluate anybody else. I, I'm not doing it any differently. And if you don't think so, as I've said many times on the show, slide up into my DMs, hop in the YouTube comments, push back or whatever take you you think I am just so very wrong because I am a Duck fan. But anyway, um, just like feel free. I will respond. I'm not someone who is going to just like shy away from that sort of stuff. You're not going to hurt my feelings unless you're deliberately mean, in which case you might a little, but not a lot. So the over, overall, and I'm sticking with the same uh, the same sort of grading scale that, that I had for the coaches who have seen games, which is I, I'm being pretty tough here. So if I give you a C and it's average, that means like, all right, it's fine. But, you know, it's not what a C means you know, when a kid gets a C in a, on a college test now. He or she looks at it and goes, oh, gosh, I did so many things wrong. Well, I guess that depends on your expectations um, for, for what class it is and whatnot. So I kind of take that back. Overall, I give the Dan Lanning hire a B, which is above average, but I I would not say it was, you know, the as as groundbreaking per se as as the hire that 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 USC made with with Lincoln Riley. So, coaching pedigree, I give I give him a B plus because he's a defensive coordinator for one of the best defenses we've seen. Now Kirby Smart is a defensive head coach, that's a part of it. Lanning was the guy calling the plays. Kirby Smart signed off on him. I've asked Georgia people about that. It's the way that, uh, that 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 went down. But clearly, from an X's nose perspective, Lanning is a guy who you know has shown so far that he he knows what he's doing on the defensive side of the ball. And Oregon is hoping that he's going to be able to bring that same sort of pedigree to the defensive side for a defense that has regressed pretty significantly. Since Andy Avalos left in 2019, the defense has gone in the wrong direction in, in a number of ways. But he was a big part of putting together that defense that won a national championship and, you know, relatively held Bryce Young in check. Not entirely, of course, but like that was, a, I think we all agree, not a hot take here. That was a really, really good defense. And it's the reason they won the national championship. But the reason that I wouldn't look at that and go, oh, well, that's you know, got to be an A minus, an A plus or an A something is because he hasn't yet been a head coach. And just because you're a good coordinator does not mean you're going to be a head coach. Now, Georgia fans knew that Lanning was going to get hired eventually. He was uh, someone who interviewed for the Oklahoma job as well before they ended up hiring one of their guys, Brent Venables, who's been a defensive coordinator with the Sooners and Norman in the past. But like if you haven't been a head coach, I can't put you in in the A category and and be honest about it because it is different, right? Everything I was talking about today on the show, it is a lot different. You get paid more for a reason. You have more responsibilities. There are more people who want or need to talk to you. You have to deal with a lot more administrative duty. Like there's just a lot more that goes into being a head coach, and you also. Are, are in charge of overall determining how your team is going to plan to win football games. Whereas when he was at Georgia, Dan Lanning was just figuring out how the defense is going to help you win a football game, but he didn't have any say in the offense. Now he has to, at least in some capacity, be involved on both sides of the ball. That That's an adjustment. And, and it's, you know, not a small adjustment. We've seen coordinators take off and do really well 
the, the last national championship uh, winning defensive coordinator to get hired as a head coach, Dave Aranda. Just won, I believe, his 12 games at Baylor, Baylor this year. I'm pretty sure they beat Ole Miss in the Sugar Bowl. Correct me if I'm wrong on that, but they won the Big 12 championship, keeping Oklahoma State from going to the college football playoff by about eh, like that that far. Pretty thrilling game. Uh, Sean McDonough on the call. I like Sean McDonough doing uh, doing play-by-play. But anyway, um, that's an example of a coordinator you know, taking over a, as a head coach, and it goes very well. But other times, a coordinator takes over a head coach, and it doesn't go as well because it is a new job. It's a different job, and he's had to put together the, the staff and the offensive coordinator hiring Kenny Dillingham. That's kind of a risky pick. It's a guy that he knows from previous staffs throughout his college career, but Dillingham's never been an offensive coordinator. And remember, for the coaches who have coach games, when I'm doing these evaluations, that's one thing I looked at. Who are your assistant hires? I think Tosh Lupoy was a good hire from a recruiting standpoint. He hasn't been a DC in a long time, but I figure, and at least uh, I, I would hope that Lanning is going to continue to call plays. But Dillingham, I think, is the biggest question mark on that staff. And I might come back for you know our next round of coaching evaluations in the offseason next year and say, like, yeah, Dan Lanning didn't make great assistant hires because Tosh Lupoy's working out because the defense is doing well, but the offense wasn't up to par. That's entirely possible because you have a first-time play caller. Like, that's a legitimate question mark on the Oregon staff, and it's part of being a head coach. As you are signing off on all of these hires, it's it's about the the program that, that you're able to put together from a player's standpoint and from a, a coach's standpoint. So the, the coaching pedigree schematically on the defensive side of the ball is about as high as you could get. But if you've never been a head coach before, that's a big adjustment. And he has to prove that he's capable of doing that. If you talk to Georgia fans, they'll say that he he is, and they've known for a long time he was going to get hired a, as a head coach because he's risen really, really quickly. He's only like 35, 36 years old. He's a really, really young guy. But transitioning into the next uh, element of a new coach evaluation hire. Yeah, I think I said that right. Anyway, you know what I'm saying it is recruiting. And I think the recruiting expectations for him are, are pretty high because he's coming off of, or the program, I should say, is coming off of four years in which they've won the Pac-12 recruiting battle four years in a row. And landing and uh, that Georgia team, including most of the players coming on the defensive side of the ball, just sent 15 players to the NFL draft. Five of them were in the first round. You had number one overall pick uh, Trayvon Walker. Yeah, Trayvon Walker. I just blanked on his name. Is that even right? Why? I have to look that up. I'm sorry. I just could totally. Uh, yeah, it's Trayvon Walker. For some reason, I thought it was something else. Anyway. Trayvon Walker, you had Jordan Davis, you had Lewis Seen, Nicobe Dean fell because of injury concerns. Like they had a bunch of guys there. So, so naturally, if you put that sort of team out there, that's not an expectation for, for him coming up to Oregon to put out 15 picks and uh, five first rounders at any point in time. That's you know not something we're likely to see uh, again, maybe from a Georgia or Alabama, but even for those schools, it's really hard to replicate. And so Oregon is coming off of a really strong run of recruiting success in the Pac-12 and nationally. In fact, higher than they've ever been. And Lanning, with, with that sort of recruiting background, I think has set the expectation pretty high. And so far, the, the recruiting ha has gone well for Oregon in a first non-full offseason. We'll see what he does in the class of 2023. They're still waiting on getting a big-time quarterback commit and really to bring in some big-time defensive players because they've been in on several guys, but they haven't gotten any verbal commitments yet. And 
couple of them look to be trending in, in a different direction. So we'll, we'll wait and see how all that plays out. But I think the recruiting expectations are certainly there for, for Dan Lanning as, as he goes up to Oregon. Uh, state of the program and his biggest challenge, you know, that's less about uh, the, the new coach himself and more of what he's coming into. I, I'd put that again at B plus. Uh, I mean, Oregon got off to a 10 and two start. They're the reigning Pac-12 North champions, which, you know, doesn't fully matter anymore. But they, they were a 10 win team last year. A lot of the players are back. Not all of them. There are some losses in the secondary on the defensive line, of course, with Kayvon Thibodeau. And they're going to have to incorporate some new skill position players, but there's some talent there, and we'll see how well they're able to to mesh with Bo Nix as the quarterback. But the the offensive skill talent is there. It's young and unproven, but it is certainly there. Part of those recruiting classes that Mario Cristobal's had for the last four years that they've been uh, they've been very successful in that sense. So there's plenty of talent on on the roster, and you know I, I think the biggest challenge, frankly, is that. It's not a rebuild for him. And he's a first-time head coach who has to win now. Lincoln Riley needs to win now because USC expects this to be a quick turnaround. And Lincoln Riley's won a bunch of games. And, you know, that that's just the the standard that, that they've set for him in terms of their expectations for him as their head coach. But Dan Lanning hasn't been a head coach before. But if he comes in and goes eight and four, that'd be a pretty disappointing season given the talent on Oregon's roster. Their offensive line should be one of the best units in the Pac-12 again. Their defensive line is not going to be quite as good, but if you're a sharp defensive mind the way Dan Lanning has been for the last couple of years at Georgia, you should be able to come in and elevate the defense from what it was a season ago where Oregon, I think, was last in the Pac-12 in passing yards allowed. I mean, they were, again, absolutely shredded through the air, and they didn't create pressure very well, and their real expectations there. And he has to do that as a head coach who's, you know, first time, being a head coach is going to be against his, uh, his his former team on September 3rd down in Atlanta, which is a pretty rude awakening to the, the college football world. But there's plenty of potential there. Um, if he wants, here's another challenge that, that he's got. If he wants to get buy-in from the fans long-term, he's got to recruit and develop a young quarterback. Duck fans, I talk to him all the time. A lot of them are very fed up with the whole transfer quarterback situation and they want a homegrown quarterback, which I understand and is perhaps a segment for another day. But if he's able to do that, then the fans will be all in even more. And so far, the reception to him has been positive because he's he's done a lot of good things on the recruiting trail for Oregon, kind of salvaged this class of 2022 the way that not many were, were really expecting. But the, the weakest area, I will say, at least right now, it's something that could potentially change depending on how much success he has on the field as Oregon's head coach is uh, the last area where I'm assessing coaches who have not yet coached in the Pac-12 is how did you raise your team's profile when you were hired? And in that sense, I'd give it a C. I'd just say it's it's average, even though he w- was clearly a highly sought after coordinator who had other offers or potential opportunities to be a head coach like i said he interviewed for the oklahoma job i'm sure there were other schools and teams that were interested in him and he's done good things as a defense coordinator but we haven't seen we haven't seen him as a head coach yet but the reason i say it's a c on raising the team's profile whereas lincoln riley i'm pretty sure i gave an a does oregon feel any bigger with Dan Lanning there than they were a season ago. Right now, I would say no. I mean, yeah, they've had these offseason 
recruiting victories and whatnot, but that's not necessarily, it's not like the, the recruiting class is getting to a spot where they haven't been before. It's just better than where it was when, when Mario Cristobal left the program to go and be the head coach at, at Miami. So I would say that this is a grade that could definitely go up, but I think that's the lowest area right now and where he had, it's, it's kind of a, you know, he has something to prove in that sense. He has to prove that he is someone who can raise Oregon above where they were the last few years when, you know, they were uh, very close to a college football playoff season in 2019. And then whatever 20, I don't talk about 2020. It wasn't a real season. And then um, 2021, Oregon was 10 and two. And then they got shellacked. Well, they were nine and one, got shellacked by Utah, beat Oregon State, then got shellacked by Utah again. That's not a great place for it to be. So if he can elevate them schematically beyond what what Mario Cristobal showed in the last month of that season, I think it'll you know leave a, a good taste in the mouths of Duck fans because that was definitely not something that that Oregon fans were were pleased with. Did not just lose, but to lose the way that they did. But that all remains to be seen. So uh, coaching bed, pedigree B plus because he hasn't been a head coach yet. Recruiting expectations A minus state of the program he's coming into. It was a disappointing end for Oregon last year. It was still a 10-win season, and there are a lot of teams who would love to have a 10-win season in college football. I give that a B plus, and then raising the team's profile C. If you disagree at all, hop in the comments. We'll go back and forth. Maybe you'll change my mind. You never know. I'm not quite as stubborn as you might think, but eh, I can be from time to time, but you'll just have to find out. I appreciate everyone listening. See you next time, and have a wonderful rest of your day.